The Politocrat is brought to you by the great people at Anchor. Anchor is such a great place to go if you want to get started in podcasting. And it's easy and it's free. Anchor, marvelous stuff, marvelous. And I'm so grateful to the folks at Anchor for getting me going with The Politocrat. If you want to get going and be heard on Apple, on Spotify and everywhere podcasts can be, Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. What is it about President Obama that really gets under your skin? Is it because he's smarter than you? Better educated? Made it on his own, didn't need daddy's help. His wife is more accomplished. Better looking. I don't know. What is it? What is it about him? That he's a black man that's accomplished, became president. That he punked you on the whole birth certificate thing. What is it about him? Just wondering. Don Lemon last night on CNN tonight trolling Donald Trump. Welcome to The Politocrat. I'm Omar Moore and it is Monday, May the 4th, 2020. I hope that you are well. In the midst of this pandemic that has taken so many lives around the world, Here in the United States, we are approaching 70,000 people dead from COVID-19. So the main idea today, well, is confusion. Is civil war going on in the Democratic Party? Is that happening? Do you see that going on? At a time where we do need to unify... Is there a civil war going on? Or is there this disinformation campaign going on that Putin is sitting back in Russia, folding his arms and bearing a Cheshire cat grin on his face as the turmoil in the United States grows? Maybe there isn't so much a civil war in the Democratic Party, and maybe there is because we've seen the divisions between Democrats and the progressives in the party over the last few years now, especially with these presidential elections, but more particularly the primary campaigns of the last two cycles, 2016 and 20. But I think this is something deeper than any dissent within the Democratic Party. Because it is clear now, at least as far as I'm concerned, that the Democratic Party, as fractured as it has been historically, at least among the most high-ranking people in that party, are unifying around Joe Biden. We have seen that. 
We have seen Bernie Sanders do that. We have seen Elizabeth Warren do that. We have seen various members of the progressive groups in this country do that in terms of the political leaders, not necessarily the the grassroots groups, but certainly AOC has said that she would vote for Joe Biden. And quite frankly, for the record, we should vote for Joe Biden. That's not a contest as far as I'm concerned. I think what what I think what I am seeing, quite frankly, is this issue on social media, this division. We're seeing it on social media. We're seeing this around Tara Reid and how people are bitterly divided on social media, at least around Tara Reid. I believe Tara Reid 1000 percent. And I do believe that Joe Biden did attack her, did rape her. That's my belief. Does that mean that I can't vote for Joe Biden? No, it doesn't mean that I can't vote for Joe Biden. I will vote for Joe Biden. I've said that many times. Whoever the Democratic nominee is, I will vote for that person. And right now, although Joe Biden is not the nominee just yet, he still has hundreds of delegates to win. He is on his way to becoming the nominee. And unless something happens to him, unless, for example, you have other accusers coming out and saying, look, you know what? He did this to me. He did that to me. And this is what happened to Al Franken back in 2017. Unless that happens with Joe Biden, the chances of Joe Biden not being the nominee are, you know, a slim to none. I mean, he's going to be the nominee. But there is this division going on. And there are actually people out there thinking, well, Vladimir Putin is behind this. Because the thing with the Ukraine failed and, you know, the whole thing about trying to weaken Biden failed with the Ukraine situation. So now Putin's next move, along with Trump and the Republicans, next move is Tara Reid. I don't believe that. Now, there may be some people listening to this right now who do believe that that's going on. Let's say for sake of argument that this was a move by Russia. Let's say that just for the sake of argument. Does that mean that Tarid is not telling the truth? No, of course it doesn't. Does that mean that Joe Biden did not rape her? No, of course it doesn't. Does that mean and does that take away the fact, in my view, that this happened to her? Of course it doesn't. Whatever you think about Tara Reid's allegations, whatever you think about those allegations, whether you believe the allegations or you don't, if there is going to be any conversation about Tara Reid, can we stick to looking at the allegations and not to personal attacks against her? Can we stick to 
just saying I believe her or I don't versus she is this or she is that? Can we on social media stick to, well, yes, I do believe her. Well, no, I need more. Or, well, yes, I believe her or no, no, I don't believe her. I don't think that she is telling the truth. Or I do think she is telling the truth. Can we just stick it, stick to that rather than attacking somebody who, who I believe 100% and who to me is clearly someone this happened to. This is a survivor. And all of these phony stories in the Associated Press. Oh my goodness me. Oh my gosh. She's now saying that she didn't include the violation against her in the initial complaint. I'll say this once again. We in this country called the United States of America are woefully uneducated, woefully uneducated in many respects. And we are woefully uneducated as to survivors and trauma. The behavior of Tara Reid is completely consistent with survivors who go through trauma, especially when it's inflicted at the hands of a powerful man. And even if this behavior were not consistent, every survivor, I would imagine, reacts differently in different situations. But to have people on social media attacking survivors, attacking Tara Reid as a survivor, having other survivors attacking Tara Reid, who is a survivor. Social media is a real problem. Social media, Twitter in particular, Facebook as well, especially, are both real problems. There is a lot of disinformation that is spread on these platforms. And I do think something has to be done about that. Because some of this discourse is so toxic. The truth of the matter is, is that we are never going to be able to prove whether Joe Biden did this or whether he didn't. We're never going to be able to prove that. I have some other thoughts. And I will get to some of the things that we really need to focus on as we get towards November. We are now less than six months away from the general election in this country, the U.S. of A. And what I'm going to be focusing on is what is really going on in this country, what I think is really going on in this country, and what we need to do to make sure that whether it's Joe Biden or whether it's someone else in the Democratic Party who is the nominee, Bernie or someone else, what we need to do to make sure that those individuals, that individual, whether it is Bernie, whether it is Biden, whether it's someone else, is elected this November.
Jamal Moore here, and I just want to say thank you so very much for listening to The Politocrat, that you would spend any of your time listening to this podcast means the world to me, especially in these very challenging times in which we live. So I just want to say once again, thank you so very much to everybody who is listening, each and every one of you. It's greatly appreciated. Continue to spread the word about the politocrat. And I just want to say that now more than ever, we need love, compassion, understanding, respect, care, empathy, all of those things we need for each other and toward each other. Now more than ever. Thank you. Michael Jackson with Free. Welcome back to The Politocrat. I am Omar Moore. So there's a lot going on. I think psychologically we are here in the U.S. facing a barrage of lots of different things coming at us. We have the trauma, obviously, of what's going on with this pandemic most immediately, this coronavirus pandemic, the onslaught of news coverage of it and really not anything that's educational. I mean, there are some occasional things that will be edifying to people, but it's just the repetitive day-to-day nature of the coverage, which reinforces this trauma. You may be someone who is suffering with this virus now. You may know people who have lost their lives to it. You may have had a family member lose their lives to it. So there's all this trauma going on. There's all this confusion and angst and fear and worry and the double speak from Trump on a daily basis, which is always a good idea why you should not watch the news media on television. I really think that it's just best to Do the activities that you have control of, obviously, whether it's meditation, mindfulness, reading a book, listening to music. All of those things are so much more life-affirming than watching someone destroy the country that you and I live in. And that's what Donald Trump is doing. That is the thing that he's done. He's destroyed this country. He has divided people. And he has been successful at it. He's actually the one thing he has been successful at doing, aside from also breaking up the administrative state. We've seen that many times over these three and a half years. We've seen that with the fact that he's pitting states against each other. 
in fighting for supplies, outbidding each other. We've seen the division between himself and federal government and the state governments. We've seen this balkanization in the country. We've had states together doing compacts in order to fight back against the federal government. And what's really happening here, even deeper than the obvious need for states to come together and unite to get help for people in their states, for the frontline workers, the healthcare workers, deeper than that is the larger operative effect, which is the deconstruction of the state and the state at large, meaning the governmental state, the administrative state. All of these agencies that are supposed to help people are actually hurting them, whether it's the CDC with their really bizarre guidelines that aren't even being followed, you know, the, the guidelines that are changing all the time that are not being implemented in any consistency. You've got P P Vice President Pence with no mask on one day and then the next day he's got a mask on. All of this is designed to undermine your confidence in governmental agencies. And the difference here is you shouldn't be having less confidence in your government, meaning the state government, meaning even the federal government. Who you should be having less confidence in is Donald Trump. Who you should be having less confidence in are these Republicans who clearly have shown you now over X amount of years, let's make it the last 50 years, that they are hell-bent on destroying anything that protects you as a person, that protects we, the people, the notion that is in the Constitution. They have been, for 50 years, hell-bent on destroying that principle and destroying this country so that they and their rich folks, their buddies, can benefit from stealing. We're seeing that all the time. We're seeing that in terms of what has gone on with this payment protection program that was supposed to help mom and pop businesses, but instead was raided. It was a corporate raid. It was theft. It was criminality by these big corporations, these big businesses. And that's the truth of where this country is. That is the truth of where we are. Whether you believe Tara Reid or whether you don't, and I do believe her, what is going on for sure in this country that we can see with our own eyes is corporate theft. We can see that in front of us. We can see Donald Trump not being responsible. We can see him. He said it. I don't have any responsibility at all. I don't take responsibility at all. I don't take any responsibility at all. He said that. We saw it. We heard it. We see the figures of people dying. 70,000, 70,000 people in the United States as of this recording of this episode have died from coronavirus, from COVID-19 in this country. And I dare say the numbers are much, much higher than that. We have Nazi protesters. We saw that three years ago in Charlottesville and we had Trump going, oh, they're, they're very good people, very fine people on both sides. We had Nazi protesters in Michigan this past week. 
with their Confederate flags, the battle flags, the flag of enslavement in this country, the flag of traitors in this country. We've seen them with swastikas. And these are Nazis. These folks don't care about your health. They don't care about their own. They've got no mask on and they're storming the Michigan Capitol in Lansing with their guns. What do you think would have happened to black protesters who would be saying, hey, look, we're being killed here in Michigan. We're being killed all over the country with this COVID-19. And we are being killed at four times the rate of, of white people and four times the rate of our own populations across all of these states. And no one's doing anything about it. We want justice. We want people to, to do something about it. And here we are with our rifles. Here we are with our freedom flag, our, our black flag, red, green, and black. The ANC flag, here we are. What do you think would have happened to those black protesters if a hundred of them had gone up to Governor Gretchen Whitmer and complained about the fact that Flint is still polluted with lead? And little is being done about it. And the other counties all across Michigan, where they are predominantly black populations, have lead in the water and nothing is being done. Very little is being done about it. What about that kind of a protest? A protest where we're talking about pro-life, preserving life, saving life. And we had our guns in Lansing at the Capitol. What do you think would happen to us? I think you know very well what would have happened to us. I mean, you've got these Nazi protesters running around. They're loud and vocal. They are a minority. The media focuses on them as if they are a majority, which they are not. Most people in this country are against reopening the country up and certainly opening it up so quickly, specifically. So... You know, that's something that gets regularly ignored. You saw Gretchen Whitmer, the governor of Michigan, on CNN, and I played it for you in yesterday's episode of this podcast, talking about the nooses. You know, these white protesters with nooses, swastikas, Confederate battle flags, talking about reopen, really? And guns? Do you really need guns and nooses? And, and swastikas? You know, this, this is about something deeper. This isn't about wanting to reopen a state. This is about ushering in Trump's brown shirts. And when you consider that people like Chris Matthews and Chuck Todd, just this year, earlier this year, before this pandemic really took hold here in the US, were on television talking about France has fallen. Because Bernie Sanders won some primaries and you had people talking about Bernie Sanders supporters are like brown shirts and that Bernie Sanders was the virus. He is the virus. That was the kind of talk on your friendly neighborhood MSNBC. Just this year, this same year that we're in, 2020. And now you've got actual brown shirts in Michigan and other places with swastikas, 
with nooses, with Confederate battle flags, running around, screaming and shouting, with guns. And where is Chuck Todd now on this? Where is his editorial about these people? We know where Chris Matthews is. He is out at MSNBC, and I'm glad. But where is Chuck Todd and these other people about this? You know, where, where is their blistering editorial against what went on in Michigan this past week? And where were they when the guy with a swastika unfurled it during a Bernie Sanders rally? Just again, just this calendar year, when Bernie went to Arizona, that was in February or March of this year. And the guy in the top, of, in the rafters of this arena, he unfurls this Nazi flag. Did MSNBC ever cover that? No. Hardly anybody in the corporate news media on cable covered that. It was all over online. You could have read it about it in the Daily Beast. You could have read about it in various places. But actually on television, very, very little coverage at all of that. But, ooh, now all these news networks are covering these Nazis as if it's just another news story. Oh, it's a news story. They caused the ruckus. They're a little upset about having to stay home. This ain't about economics. These folks have jobs. This is about them promoting what I think is a very dangerous and deadly agenda. You can protest being locked down without bringing freaking guns. You can press, you can protest about being locked down. And you can keep those goddamn nooses and swastikas and freaking Confederate battle flags at home. You can protest without bringing all that crap with you, that evil with you, which tells me that you are all about something a lot more sinister than about wanting to open up an economy. You are absolutely advocating violence. And when Trump is tweeting things like liberate Michigan and liberate Virginia and liberate Minnesota, all places where there are Democratic governors, if not also Democratic state legislatures, you have got someone who is not only breaking the administrative state, but is absolutely fomenting and advocating violence against it. This is very, very dangerous. I think these are the things we in this country must be focusing on. We must focus on things like this. We must educate people about this. We must educate people about what Greg Palast, the intrepid investigative reporter, for various publications, including Rolling Stone and also on BBC Newsnight, has been saying for a long time now about election theft, voter stealing, vote stealing. He has now got a book coming next month. And he's talking about the fact, uh, according to his research and what he's been doing, 17 million votes are being stolen by Trump right now in preparation for the 2020 election this November. What are we doing about that? What are we doing about that information? Are we sharing that information on social media so that people can be aware 
And then beyond that, what is our response to that? Because I don't doubt what Greg Pallast is saying at all. This is based on his research and what he has been doing now for over 30 years, uncovering all of these things in these states by the Republicans who are looking squarely to take your vote. Which is why I have always said and will continue to say, check your voter registration. And I would check it twice a month. At the beginning of the month and at the end of the month. And do that all the way through October, certainly through the early part of October, so that if you should find that you've been knocked off the voter rolls, you can readily make a claim and try to get it fixed in enough time before the November 3rd general election comes along. We need to be ready. We need to register to vote. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that along with some other things I think that we have to keep in our minds even during this horrific time. And I'll be back in just a moment. John Bryan with So Now Then. And that's from the soundtrack to the 1999 film Magnolia. Welcome back to The Politocrat. So I guess really the focus of this episode is focus. Is there a civil war? going on in this country between Democrats and progressives? Yeah, I think there is to an extent. I think we can stipulate that. There's always been tension, certainly over the last 20 or 30 years, between the corporate Democrats who continue to run the party and the progressives who are looking to make major changes because what we have has not been working for the Democratic Party, by and large, for the last 25, 30 plus years. And is there a civil war in the country at large in a different way? An information war, for sure. There is definitely unrest in this country through psychological means, whether it is via the tools of social media, where you've got people like Mark Zuckerberg inviting all of these political ads that are complete lies onto his social media network, Facebook, And not doing enough about that. He's not doing anything about that. He's allowing Trump to keep 
putting up these lies on social media, on Facebook. There's definitely an information civil war going on in this country. Maybe that's really what this is. And it's being fought and waged on social media. And there's definitely operations going on with Russia. There's no question about it. There definitely is to sow dissension. And that's what we're seeing. And I don't know, I don't think that involves Tara Reid at all. Now, some people will disagree with me. And like I say, Tara Reid, in my view, is, is utterly credible. And I believe her 100%. The Democratic Party has done a very poor job, as I've said before, around answering this, especially Joe Biden. Although he finally did this past week at the end of the week last week. But I don't think that that story is necessarily going to go away. And Joe Biden needs to come clean. There have been investigations called for this whole incident. And I think it should be. I agree with that. I join with the LA Times, the New York Times, and these various other entities, the Washington Post, and other editorial boards who have called for an investigation. I think there should be. I also think there's also something else going on here. You know, when Tara Reid spoke out back in March, you know, March of this year, where were these editorial boards? They were strangely silent. They knew that Tara Reid had given interviews to Katie Halper, had given interviews to Amy Goodman on Democracy Now!, had given interviews to Rising, the Hill.TV program that features Crystal Ball and her co-host, and I've forgotten his name, Sagar. I think his first name is, I'm sorry, I don't remember your full name. So, you know, that's a whole nother component, the media aspect of this and how they've behaved. But I think the essence of everything that I want to get to is focus. The point is focus. We have to focus. Even in these really horrible times that we are living in, we have to focus. And what we know is this. The United States Postal Service is in jeopardy. We know that we have to act. We have to call 202-225-3121 and tell senators who are actually convening today on Monday, 4th of May. For the first time in weeks, they're reconvening on the Senate floor. We need to tell these senators And tell Mitch McConnell, who is in the midst of a re-election campaign, that you've got to fund the United States Postal Service and give them a lot more money than you're giving them. We need to call our House members as well at the same phone number. That is what we need because if we're going to have vote by mail, it won't be much good if we don't have a post office available for it to facilitate itself through. Because we cannot afford to have a privatized postal service. No way. Lots of people will be hurt by that. Rural communities will be hurt. Communities that are poor will be hurt. The black community will be hurt. Latinx community will be hurt. Native American. All communities will be hurt by this. And only the rich perhaps would benefit. They can afford to pay $10 for a postage stamp. You, you better believe that ha- if Amazon ever gets its hands or, you know, UPS or any of these places get its hands on the Postal Service. That is all she wrote. So that's an issue we really can do something about. 
We can actually do something about the post office. We can absolutely say to these elected officials who are up for re-election this year, if you don't stand with keeping the post office solvent, with maintaining the post office, we are going to vote you out this November. We can do something about that. We can actually have an impact on that. Stimulus checks. I talked about that in the episode yesterday. Things that we can do. And again, I want to remind those of you who have 16-year-olds in your household or lower, 16 or younger in your households, who also, if you are also a Social Security income person or a VA benefits individual with a 16-year-old or younger in your home, you need to go to irs.gov right now. By tomorrow. And file for your stimulus check. And please consult my episode yesterday where I went into detail about exactly what you need to do. So very, very important. That's something we can do something about. There are over, the reality is there's also over 30 million people in this country without a job right now. And there are untold millions in addition to that who cannot even get through to file a claim for unemployment, who cannot get through on the website or on a telephone line to do that. So we know that there got to be probably 50 million people right now in this country without a job that have been laid off. You've got various places like J. Crew that are going to file for bankruptcy. We know those things are happening. We know that PPE is still lacking for frontline workers. And we know that testing is still nowhere near where it should be in this country. Even though there are places like Los Angeles and Los Angeles County here in California that are actually testing everybody, everybody, asymptomatic, symptomatics, everybody for free. Free testing. In at least 31 different testing sites in Los Angeles County. And of course, for the elderly, people will be coming to them to test them. This is an incredible program, first of its kind of the country, where you've got free testing for everybody in a county. No other place in the country, in this country, is doing that right now. Not even San Francisco. San Francisco is doing testing, but it's only doing testing for symptomatic people. The testing is free, but it's only for symptomatics. And what Los Angeles County is doing, and, you know, kudos to the mayor up here, London Breed, for getting that started. But we also need asymptomatics to be tested as well. But what Los Angeles County is doing is really great. First of its kind in the country, free testing for everybody who lives in Los Angeles County. Because, of course, Los Angeles County right now is going through a lot of hell. Nearly 2,000 people have died there in the county from this COVID-19 with thousands of cases in the county. A lot of Latinx people are dying. That we know. We know that PPE is still lacking. We need to advocate for those nurses and others on front lines of healthcare and healthcare workers who are dying. 
by the hundreds in this country. That story suddenly is being sublimated. You're not hearing a lot about that anymore. If you watch the corporate news media now on television, you're not seeing very much of that story anymore. The focus now that the media has employed is reopen, 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 and then these protests. That's the focus of where the media is, the corporate news media is right now, the pro-business side, reopen, reopen, reopen. That has now taken over the discourse. But the reality is, is that there's still not enough testing in this country. The testing capacity, forget about it. Actual tests is what we're looking at. And there's not enough of actual tests being performed in this country. There's not enough PPE equipment still. Not enough masks for these healthcare workers. People are still dying. Doctors are dying. Doctors are taking their lives, as we saw last week, in one New York hospital. I believe it was in New York or somewhere in the, in the Northeast. But a doctor ended her life last week. We've got opioid addiction through the roof now, especially with this pandemic. I don't hear Charles Barkley talking to the mostly predominantly white people who are dying in this opioid crisis talking about personal responsibility. You don't hear him. You know, where's the one hour show on CNN about the opioid crisis? And they've probably done them in the past where they invite on some white professional athletes and where they're wagging their fingers at the white community saying, you shouldn't be doing this. You should stay off these drugs. When in reality, we know that any of these situations, just like in the black communities, bring on these stresses and this is what people do to self-medicate. And in the black community, when you've got institutionalized racism all over the world, all over this country, those things bring on the medical conditions and the realities of the way medicine treats black people in this country, the way healthcare has treated black people in this country for centuries. Whether there's been experiments on black women who were not under anesthetic and experiments on them without their consent, gynecological experiments. I mean, Harriet Washington wrote a whole book on this. I believe it's called Bad Medicine. Whether it's the Tuskegee experiments on black men, black women being experimented on, as I said, black men, Tuskegee experiments. And then we've got Chuck Barkley talking about personal responsibility in this pandemic, when you've got black people dropping like flies. Isn't it interesting that you've got people in Michigan with nooses? And that's where the media focus is. And they're not condemning these people. And you've got a governor in Michigan going, again, who is not doing whole, a whole hell of a lot about what's going on with the water crisis either. And she had to be begged to turn on the water back in, in these places in Michigan that are affected by this lead poisoning in the water. She had to be begged. Activists had to beg her, had to shame her into doing it, to put the water back on. It had been turned off for a long time. And she's saying that this isn't, these people with nooses and, and swastikas don't represent Michigan. Okay then. We know another thing. We know that you can't open up these states 
when so many people are still dying and in record numbers in Georgia, in Iowa, in Nebraska, and all these places. And Nebraska's having a primary soon. In-person primary. What could possibly go wrong? We already saw what happened in April in Wisconsin, in Milwaukee County in particular. We know that Democratic leadership has been weak lately. We know that the Speaker of the House has not been strong enough when she's advocating for on behalf of the people. And we get these stimulus bills that don't go nearly far enough for the average person. And we've got millions of Americans, most people in this country, or almost, I think, 90% of people in this country have not yet received their stimulus check. And we find out there are all kinds of loopholes as well. So people who aren't getting these checks are obviously ticked off about that. And you've got dead people getting checks. And this whole idea among some of the Democratic Party, well, we'll fight that battle another day. While Republicans are stealing, while big corporations are stealing money from the PPP, which was supposed to help mom and pop businesses. These are realities. We need to put pressure on leadership, whether it's Democratic leadership or Republican leadership. Call up your senator. Call up the Speaker of the House, Pelosi. Call your representative at 202-225-3121 and tell them that the Democrats have got to fight harder. We are in a crisis right now, in a pandemic right now, that America hasn't seen for over 100 years. And we are going to have more bankruptcies. We've got food bank lines stretching for miles in states across the country. The demand for food is outstripping the supply. There are going to be food shortages in this country. There already are. We are living right now through a second Republican Great Depression. Maybe that's the title of this episode. The Second Republican Great Depression. That's the reality. You've got infection rates spiking. You've got Donald Trump not giving a rat's ass about any of this stuff. Just like Herbert Hoover in 1932 in the midst of the First Republican Great Depression. And he got roundly voted out of office in that 1932 election, which and I've written about this, which is why I think this election this year, despite everything we're seeing, is going to be much more like the 1932 presidential election and a lot less like the 2016 presidential election. And I get it. People are drawing the parallels. Oh, Joe Biden, Hillary Clinton, da, 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 division, dissension. But I think this one's different, folks. I think this election is a lot, lot different in terms of the circumstances. People have to register to vote. And we have to vote for the Democratic nominee, whoever that's going to be, because it's still a question right now with what, we, with what we're seeing. Joe Biden has not been confirmed yet as the Democratic presidential nominee. But I think right now we have to focus our efforts on making sure that we vote for whoever that Democratic nominee is. 
Because if some Bernie Sanders supporters, and I'm a Bernie Sanders supporter, if some Bernie supporters are thinking that, ooh, maybe we can get Bernie back in there, think again. The Democratic establishment spent all of its time trying to get rid of Bernie. Do you honestly think that the Democratic establishment is going to now usher him back in, in the wild event that Joe Biden is forced out as the presumptive nominee? Do you really think that the DNC is going to say, oh yeah, okay, Bernie. The DNC rules are pretty clear on this. They can put anybody they want in as their nominee at the convention. Heck, they could put a man or woman on the moon in as their nominee. There's no, there's no law that says that they can't do that. They could put Andrew Cuomo in as their nominee. They could put Chris Cuomo in as their nominee for that matter. They could put Elizabeth Warren. They could put Stacey Abrams. They could put Amy Klobuchar. They could put Kamala Harris. There is no law that says they can't do this. So for some of those Bernie supporters, for those Bernie supporters who are thinking, hmm, maybe we can get Bernie back in there. You saw what the New York Democratic Party did. The Board of Elections officials in New York last week. You saw what they did to Bernie, don't you? Didn't you? Canceling the primary in New York, the presidential primary canceled in New York State. So for those who may have a different agenda than the agenda of survivors, may I ask you, may I remind you that the DNC is not going to put Bernie Sanders in. We have to vote for whomever the Democratic nominee is going to be. And what I think we must do, even now, those of us who can do this, those of us who are so inclined, we must start to educate ourselves on voting and ask ourselves, are we doing enough to reach out to friends and family, whether it's on FaceTime or Skype or WebEx or whatever video service you use? Are you telling your relative, your friend, to check their voter registration? Are you encouraging your friend to get other friends to vote by texting them and telling them, go to whenweallvote.org or rockthevote.org? Are you passing out the phone number 866-O-U-R-V-O-T-E in terms of election protection? Are you doing that? Are you spreading that phone number so that if you find any kind of issues in voting, should you be so brave to go to the polls in person in November or before that? Are you finding any issues? If you're finding an issue with voting, you want to call that phone number, 866-O-U-R-V-O-T-E. Are you passing that phone number around to your friends, to your family? Because this is what we should be doing right now. I definitely think that we definitely have to, of course, meditate, take a walk, exercise, get some sun, get sun. It's very important to do those things. Listen to music, read. Very important. But we also have to spend at least 10 minutes, 
15 minutes educating ourselves and others to vote, listening to others, ask them, did you vote last time? And if you didn't vote last time, why? Are you going to vote this time at all? And if you're only going to vote for the races down ticket and not at the top of the ticket as well, why aren't you going to vote for the race at the top? Or if you're only going to vote for the race at the top for the presidency, why aren't you going to vote for the rest of the ticket? These are the conversations that I think we must be having right now. Here in May. We cannot wait until August or September when the debates roll around. Especially in September, because that's when they're going to begin, end of September. We cannot wait until the end of September to start talking about this, to start educating people, to start outreaching people. And I know that this pandemic has made it very difficult, obviously, to go in person. But right now, while we're seeing all of these Nazis and these brown shirts turning up at state capitals with freaking nooses. Right now, where we're seeing all this division and we're seeing people on social media attacking survivors. Really? This is the time right now where we should be investing our energy in reaching out to people who were on the fence Last time in 2016, this is the time where we need to start reaching out to people on our Twitter pages, on our social media in general, on our texting list and say to them, hey, are you voting in November? You've got to vote this November. And if you're not voting, why not? That's the time we need to start listening to people telling us, well, I'm not voting because of this. And then once we've listened to them and understood them and heard them, We should offer the reasons why we must vote, why that person must vote that is not really confident about it. We must explain to them why their voice matters, why if it didn't matter, you wouldn't have Republicans trying to steal their vote. Those are the kinds of conversations we've got to have. Instead of going back and forth about the truth of Tara Reid, a truth that I definitely believe. I just think that there has to be more than one conversation going on at any one time. That's all I'm saying. And I think that people should be investing their positive energy on getting people registered to vote and encouraging them to check their voter registration, listening to them, asking them, If you are someone who isn't going to vote, why not? We have to do this, all of us. If we have the capability, if we are so fortunate to have online access, to have internet access, to have a laptop, to have a phone, then let's get to work. And let's do the things we can do. Because I think that these times demand it. Thank you very much for listening to this edition of The Politocrat. I'm Omar Moore.